0: Gavin. hey louie how are you doing girly i'm doing good it's it's getting colder are you feeling like the festive season it's i mean yeah it's it's dark at like 4 yes. p.m and... um have you tasted like some turkey spice things some pumpkins is that some turkey spice milk and oh <gasps> and you know what i saw <laughs> in the store the other day is it gonna be a turkey spice milk no nope. i hope not it was oat nog oh and derek was and i said no 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 no. you'd put that <laughs> right back you put and a woman watching us was laughing and i said ma'am i you know uh i news, said gavin please yeah newsflash i was that woman <laughs> <laughs> gavin me, please stop following me to the store <laughs> me and full drags yeah yeah that's how i spend my weeknights <laughs> just at the lincoln market and <laughs> the lincoln market and will, will someone clock me no (laughs) No. unclockable (laughs) unclockable i just recently had my first oat milk experience because i had not had oat milk before and let me tell you not a fan not it has the consistency of semen which is not to say (laughs) (laughs) that took a turn yeah which is not to say that's the worst consistency but when it tastes like oat milk when it tastes like weird water yeah it's it's watery i'm not mad at it but i'm not gonna pay the extra for it no that's and i think that's where i'm drawing the line i also like milk a lot i like regular milk i i don't i welcome back to milk chat by the way Uh, so now in two percent versus whole (laughs) what is the story there oh you always choose the whole louis everybody Ah, knows ah, oh my god this is r-rated ups wow it really is this is um very in um theme with our subject Today, but hello, hi, this is the mixed reviews. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or mini genre, and we give you a fun little history, and then we talk about the stuff we like and then the stuff that we don't like. And so this much. episode we're sponsored by the milk agency. The <laughs> yes, milk yeah. the milk um uh lobby. lobby. Yes. <laughs> yes. Big milk. <laughs> brought to you by Big Milk and not the drag queen. I was <laughs> I was just going to say, that was my stripper name. Big Big Milk. Milk. Wow. (laughs) She does the body good. Exactly. There you go. Thank you. Um, But yes, hi, everyone. Um, Welcome Welcome back. Thank you for choosing to listen to the mixed reviews this week. That's true. You could have your pick of any film podcast and you keep flying with us. Hello. (laughs) Let's go back. Last week, last episode. Yes. uh, We talked about Angelina Jolie. Can I tell you that I got some very hot goss? Um, uh, A a potential... um, I'm not going to... This is very, like, we gotta bleep it. We gotta, like... Um, I do have that power. Y- I am an editor. Um A friend of mine said he knows a... who, like, works in the therapist's office. Oh, this is very Spaceballs. You're my uncle's father's brother's... Very that. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. that. It's very L.A. It's very... <laughs> I know a girl who knows a girl who looks like a boyfriend who looks like a girlfriend. Yeah. Um. That's the killers. I'm not gonna get into the, the saucy details, but let's just say that the kids are um, in therapy and doing their best. You know. And doing their best. Yeah. Just like the rest of us. You know, I mean, that happens. Um, I mean, when your parents are the hottest people on the planet. Yeah. And the most famous people on the planet, um, things are And sure... they go through a pretty non-amicable divorce. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Things, I mean, I could see that. Things are messy. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Life is messy. Okay. And so is this room. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you bastard. You've been holding on to that one. Uh, I just love any chance to drag you guys. See, you know, it's just got a lot of stuff. It's not messy. It's okay. okay, those books, those are an issue. Uh, but, and that, and that's... <laughs> um, but okay, we talked about Angela and Jolie Jolie uh, last episode. Uh, we asked you guys to go vote for your favorite Miss um, Jolie uh, performance, and the results are in. Um, tied in last place, which is kind of funny to me, it makes me laugh, uh, was Lara Croft and Changeling. I feel like there's a winner between those two. (laughs) No, two sides of the same coin. Right, right. Those are both the same. She's just raiding tombs trying to get her kid back. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard (laughs) Um, in this economy. And then in second place was my pick, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, with 17%. An undeniably hot movie. And in first place, Far and Away, your pick, Gavin, um, Girl Interrupted, 61%. Shocking. And not... um, I don't know. I was surprised by that win. I'll be honest. Because... I genuinely assumed Mr. and Mrs. Smith would win. I feel like that's the, a crowd-pleasing answer. They're both very good in it. She's she's great. She's giving a fantastic performance. So I was like, oh, you know, but she did win her Academy Award for Girl Interrupted. So I guess I should just take the win and I be happy with Interrupted it. I think Girl Interrupted is one of those rare movies that not only is, like, unanimously critically loved, but, like, it broke through the mainstream. Like, this, this is a movie that, like... That, that was the one of the years where people were like, oh, yeah, when they were watching the Oscars. Oh, I have seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, like, you know, one of the rare... And so people were like, Angelina did fucking really work that shit. Uh, she was great. And just seriously, and I know we said it in the episode, but, like... An amazing cast. Yes. yeah It cannot around, be said enough. All around. But that was last episode. So we do have a little bit of business, um, dear listeners. Uh, Yavin and I have made the executive decision... That this will be our last episode. Ever. Period.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. Uh, this will be our last episode of the year. We are going to take a very well-deserved break. Um, take December off. Um, go see the kids. Absolutely. The kids. They're. You know, they've been splitting time between us. Yeah. And yeah. we really think it's important... To be a united family, yes, and just spend spend the time, correct, the holidays with them. Um, Chels and Sam and all of our (laughs) other guests, Dan and Connor, Nish, all our babies. Yeah, they they really miss us. Um, So, no, yes, this will be our last episode of the year. So, a very early happy holidays and all that happy new year, but we will be back and see you in January for our, uh, end of the year wrap up review. Yeah. Our year in review of 2021. Yes. It's been such a weird fucking year for movies. I know. And I just can't wait to talk about Godzilla versus King Kong for an hour and a half. Uh, uh these episodes are rarely an hour and a half. <laughs> it's a full two hours or nothing. I'm giving you 30 minutes for whatever you want to talk about, Gavin. Uh, um, but uh, I, I am going to do my best to get out some new little merch for the Ooh. holiday season um, supply chain. What's that? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, hopefully by the time you're hearing this, we will have a new shirt out that you can, you know, stuff into some stockings absolutely and if you do want to go and order some of our merch to put into people's stockings yes you can always find our stuff on redbubble just search the mixed reviews we have shirts and totes and fun stuff coffee cups and stuff i don't yeah, know i think th- I hats maybe there's some hats i don't know i don't know i don't want to promise you anything that's not there yeah so just stuff if you want other stuff there are buttons i can press to make the stuff <laughs> exist i just turned it all i was like People don't want mouse pads and dresses. <laughs> There's literally an option to make dresses with our our name on it. I was like, too much. Too much. Um, but anyway, I think that's all the old business. Absolutely. Sorry that there will be no seasonally appropriate. But, like, listen, what, what do you want us to do? Snowmen on film? Like a- this? A- oh, like, angels on film. An- oh. uh. No. I don't know. <laughs> Gavin's maybe, like, maybe next year. Where are the devils on film? <laughs> yeah. Um, don't think I'm not going to pitch that next October. <laughs> and now our Satan episode. <laughs> okay, let's wrap that up um, and move right along. Gavin, tell the children, what are we here to talk about today? Today, we're here to talk about the 90s auteur turned cinema master. That sounds good. Yeah, 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 I think so. The cerebral, but very visual Mm -hmm. paul thomas anderson yeah i i'm gonna be very honest okay i hadn't seen a lot of his movies because i'm not smart um and i was like oh baby we've been trying to hide that from you okay (laughs) i'm looking at the man in the mirror (laughs) i'm trying to make a change uh no i i think both you and i when we're watching for this episode we're like oh god yeah it was a slog uh I I, no, I, and I and I don't want to say slog yeah. because bad. <laughs> like they were both like ah! um, it's not slog as in bad, but it's like these are not easy. Typically right. I'll watch maybe two films a day and they're like easy breezy gals to get through. None of his movies are easy breezy gals. Exactly. They're long, they're heady. Yeah. Uh they're emotionally heavy. Yes. Um uh, their characters are oftentimes miserable. Which, miserable. Which really doesn't you know, when you're trying to keep the vibe up. Yeah. It kind of brings the mood down. It's, uh, yeah, just like, really? I, I literally would have, I would go to YouTube.com and then have to watch, like, some internet video game playing. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Li- I was like, I cannot watch another move, like, like God. I like I was telling Louis before the show began, I watched an entire season of Dracula because I needed something in between. I was like, "Give me something stupid." Thank <laughs> like... <laughs> God, Big Mouth has a new season out because, <laughs> whoo, um, what an episode! What, what what's what's some some really heavy movies? Um, thankfully, he only has eight movies. Yes, um, I think nine now out with Licorice Pizza. Um, so it wasn't a he doesn't have a big body of work, but. Each movie is like two and a half, three hours long. And and listen, we all know, you know, he started strong with Event Horizon and the Resident Evil movies were a little weird, bit of a flop. Weird. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, Alien vs. Predator. Oh, that's, that's Paulus W. Anderson. Oh, Did I watch the wrong movies? Gavin. <laughs> I hate when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've also been sitting out that joke. to <laughs> talk about canned jokes. Uh, but yeah, no, this is, this was, uh, this was... Tougher and like, hey, listen, we know we're not, you know, we don't always do filmmakers on the show because you can, like, that's every other film podcast, You're right? Uh, but it is fun for us to like dive into someone like this to do the. I mean, he like maybe is one of three white male yeah. filmmakers we've Correct. ever done, right? So it's kind of fun to like delve into his psyche and what's going on with him. It's funny you mentioned that because literally as I was watching all these, I was like, this is maybe the straightest episode, yeah. like, like research and like watching I've done. And I was, yeah, because even when we did Richard Linklater, there's something just a little queer there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I was talking to good friend of the pod and um, former guest host, Samantha Stallard, And she was like, I swear to God, every fucking guy I go on a date with wants to talk to me about what PTA movie, like, is his favorite movie and changes life. And I was listening to, like, interviews with him on other podcasts, and it's literally just, like, these film bros being like, man, like, Daniel Day, that's the greatest, like. Which is so funny because I do think there is, well, A, just to complete my original thought, like, hopefully we provide... A slightly different perspective for you going yes. in. Yes. So it's not just the same boring white straight people telling you about a filmmaker and maybe will provide a different angle or something that you haven't thought about before. But the other, the reverse of that is uh, I think Paul Thomas Anderson, who is like kind of, I mean, he really is a film bro but I don't feel like he's a film bro like I feel like he gets pigeonholed into that mm, mm-hmm. because of those situations where he he's often getting interviewed by these film fans but at the same time he's like very non-judgmental very yes very open-minded he grew up in like a very relaxed like entertainment industry mm-hmm. uh focused family in california so it, it's his vibe never comes off as like right. super pretentious like he seems very laxed and relaxed like he's not a tarantino he's and not we're, gonna we're, talk and, shit about the marvel movies right is exactly what, was what, what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. like, he's literally like my my kids love the marvel movies yeah. they're great like he's he's not like so stick up his ass about like well, you know, I mean, popular shit. you know, one of the reasons he decided to drop out of film school was because, you know, his first day in and he went to two classes in NYU. Uh, I'm getting out of myself, but his first day there, the teacher was like,
2: if you're here to write Terminator 2, just leave now. And I thought, well, that's terrible. There could be a kid in the corner there that wants to write Terminator 2. That's his vision. That's his movie. That's Let what he likes. It. Let him do it, you know. Yeah
0: not terminator the first one ter- as you said on the cinema gals podcast okay please I everyone wanna... our listeners please go over to cinema gals yes. podcast um i i do an excellent job remembering all the names of the terminator movies absolutely but you know so that's i th- i think the that <laughs> i said terminator the first terminator the first one uh, it stuck with me to this day i still think about it you know that's this, this sort of interesting thing and this is not me like defending a straight white man whatever he's rich and so like he's good he's fine uh but you know i i just think it's interesting that there's a lot of shitty film bro muck you sort of have to get through when you delve into the world of pta and i absolutely i don't think that it really has that much to, to to do with him as a person but you sort of have to do the work to get there you have to row out to the island where his like chillness is it's sometimes it's the same way i feel about like when i'm like oh i love pop punk music so much and then i go to a show and i remember all the fans of that music i'm like this is the worst okay let's get into the rewind So Paul Thomas Anderson was born June 26th in 1970. He is 51 years old. um, So young. A a young child. And I will say, he's kind of a cutie. Yeah. No, he is. It's so funny, though. I did see somebody say in a very short period of time, he went from film bro twink (laughs) to um, drunk dad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely, physically. (laughs) The pictures of him on the set of Boogie Nights, I'm like, this looks like Moby. Yes. But like... Or, like, just strong Moby vibes is all of that came to me. And I was like, it's kind of scuzzy... Just like, very Gen X, like, I don't know, bucket hats. Yes. Oh, bucket hats. Per Bucket hats. Uh, <laughs> bucket hat couture. Okay. Uh, he was born in Studio City, Los Angeles. Um, his parents were Edwina and Ernie, which I think is so cute. Ernie was kind of like a famous voice actor. He was the voice of ABC. He was doing commercials, and um, he was the, uh, what's the narrator stuff for, like, Love Boat. Uh, the announcer for Carol Burnett. Yeah. But prior to all of that, and I I don't... Please, please, yes. Gavin. This is very you. I don't want to skip over it because it's pretty amazing. Back in Ohio, for about three years, he had a very famous Friday night TV show where he presented movies under the moniker Goulardi.
2: Hey, listen, gang... What do you think of the movie so far, huh? Hey, really bad.
0: <laughs> and Goularty was, you know, in a, in a way, people always talk about how Alvira sort of stole Vampiristies, mm. but I feel like she's a combination of Goularty and Alvira because Goularty wasn't like a mad scientist or anything. He just had like a goatee and like a blacked out eye. But then he was like kind of a beatnik, kind of a hippie, He'd, you know, <laughs> tell people like, Don't rat out your friends and like and make fun of the movies in between. And so Paul Thomas Anderson later in life would name his film company Goularty. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, you'll see it on a bunch of his movies. Also, gotta say, there's a lot of um, scholarship and journalism about Paul Thomas Anderson and all his movies. Um, So... He'll, like literally Google his name and you'll find so much stuff. He's he's not press shy. Yeah, that's I, I was saying that to Louis before we even began. Like, this is a, not a man that refuses an interview. Yeah. He is willing to do an interview because I think he likes talking to people. And I think it's very clear from his movies that he likes digging deeper into people. And part of that is, you know, going and talking to them, even if it's answering the same nine billion questions. Right. But I think also that comes from growing up in Hollywood. Like yeah. he's knows how the game is played, you know, he understands it and is also just like most, most of the time those journalists are just doing their jobs. It's yeah. Like, I, I saw an interview with him where he mentioned he's like, getting into the business wasn't ever like a foreign thing. To, he's like, I right. grew up there. Yeah, I mean,
2: certainly I had a leg up in that I was born and, and bred in, in Los Angeles where, you know, to, to get a job on a film set is, you know, just as easy as, you know, you know, it's just, it's always, it surrounds you. Um,
0: he has said that he always wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, He really had no other plan, could not imagine doing anything else. Um, And what's funny, I, at the beginning, was like, ugh, good. Um, Some nepotism case. But that really isn't the case. No. He doesn't talk a lot about his relationship with his mom. He just says that he didn't have a really good relationship with her. And there is a really good oral history in Grantland about Boogie Nights, where the actress, and she plays the mother of uh, Dirk Dirk Diggler, Diggler. And... There's a famous scene where the mother is telling him, you're never going to be anything. You're never like the actress asked Paul, like, is this supposed to be your mom? And he didn't say anything, but he kind of got misty eyed. And so she kind of like, let it go. Is it Joanna Gleason? Joanna Gleason. And it's funny, you you got that just as I looked it up. But uh, it's funny, too, because the the story I have heard, everything is the same, except for that story ends with her placing her hand on his shoulder and saying you don't have to forgive her Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so reading between the lines maybe mom wasn't as um, supportive of perhaps pursuing a a career in hollywood but his dad really was and it seems like his dad was very like loosey-goosey fun guy um hung out with a lot of the famous people of that era. Like I said, mentioned the Carol Burnett, like would hang out with the cast members of that, including Tim Conway. There's a very funny story he tells of his father and Tim Conway, like purposely trying to get pulled over after getting drunk. And like, uh, it's a much longer story. You can find it online and I don't want to like bore you with a five minute story, (laughs) but seriously, once again, you can find many a Paul Thomas Anderson interview to kind of like Put the exclamation point on how loosey-goosey, freewheeling his childhood was. He says that he watched his first porno when he was nine years old. He- this is pre-internet, everybody. <laughs> yes, correct. Pre-internet, porn was being made all around him. Um, Like, literally, physically. The, there's a lot of porn studios that were just around in that area. And so he just kind of quickly was aware of the industry um, and I can just imagine a little workito Paul Thomas Anderson like with his scuzzy high school friends being like, we love porn. Um, <laughs> he said in like a 1999 New York Times magazine article interview he's like, yeah, I used to like jerk off all the time but like I just made sure what did he, what was he trying to make he was trying to make this point that like I masturbate but I clean up quickly and I was like, huh okay. <laughs> And the editor was like, we're keeping that in. <laughs> <laughs> he made his first film when he was eight. He started making films on Betamax video, uh, but then he started using eight millimeter film. He would experiment with stuff and he would make, you know, this short little films with friends. Um, it's important to note that in high school, he made his first little the the Dirk Diggler story yeah like with friends it's it's a half an hour short film called the Dirk Diggler story and it's essentially the pre-Boogie Nights basis but it's like a goof yeah it's it's a goof you can find it on YouTube I watched the whole thing he was a professional all the way up until the end he was a professional say what you will about the man but when it came down to doing a scene he was amazing hold up it's uh, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a sophomore in high school doing y- his best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's cool that it's out there though. I will give him that. I heard him talk about on on some other shows like he wasn't really really like, "Oh, do I have to go to college? I guess right. I have to go to USC or NYU or my flop." But then like he didn't get into like either of those right well, away. Well, yeah, he said he couldn't get into college cuz his yeah. grades were bad. Yeah. And so he was, like, kind of fucking around, doing nothing. He went to Emerson College for a little bit. He went to Santa Monica College for a little bit. He eventually made it to NYU, hated it, was like, oh, no, fuck this. I just need to be doing the thing. He, on his second day, they had an assignment where they were told to write a script page where they show a character's characterization through only actions, no dialogue.
2: And I had read this, this, this... Uh, great script by David Mamet, which was Hoffa, which was not made at the time And there was a great scene that Mamet had written where Daniel DeVito is driving along his character's driving along and it shows What he's going through by the method he uses to keep himself awake while driving Which is he lights a cigarette and he holds it between his hands and he lets it burn down to his fingers to keep him burning and burning his fingers and keeping him awake and It's just so simple and perfect and lovely and it's you know, Mr. Pulitzer Prize himself, David Mamet. So I took that page and I handed it in. And uh, and it got a C+. Plus. And I said, all right, now I know I'm right. And there's a wonderful thing that if you drop out quick enough, you can get your tuition back.
0: <laughs> I mean, sorry to break it to everyone, but school is mostly fake. Yeah, most of it is fake. I've had some great, which is not to say, like, I had some great teachers. My favorite college professor, I never would have met her, Kay McDonough, who's since passed away. Never would have met her. But I went to film school, and I can tell you for the most part, correct. Yeah, I went to school twice, and it was great, but (laughs) fake. So he decides, I'm just going to start doing the thing. I'm going to uh, wrangle friends to try and make a short film. Uh, And he ends up making cigarettes and coffee in 1993. And he submits it to Sundance short program, and it was uh, accepted, it screened. And then he was invited to join the Sundance labs. And that's where uh, he kind of like... Really I mean and I was like, oh, he actually did do this on his own like even though yeah. he had his father who was in the biz, there really is no like and then my dad got me the meeting with this guy like that really didn't happen. while he was um at the Sundance film Labs, um, he decides to expand that um, short film into his first feature, which turns out to be a little bit of a mess. He had originally titled it Sydney um but the production company that basically was like financing it was like no they renamed it recut it did a lot of shenanigans there are places where he says like oh i'm such a control freak and then there are other places where like his editors like he's not a control freak like he thinks he is he's not He is so young here right and uh, like, i think that's what it is i think it's a folly of youth yeah in, in and when you read interviews from him back like in 1999 um during boogie nights magnolia that stuff He's like very kind of manic. If you read interviews with him now, he's like yeah well magnolia was a little crazy huh <laughs> like, yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> like he's i mean i think that's what it is is he he was young and he was very self-assured and i i cannot stress this enough for all that we just said about school you know what's a really big thing is confidence yes and i know that sounds really shitty to have someone be like you should be confident i need somebody to tell me to be confident every single day <laughs> but like literally a lot of this is getting by on confidence he also said in an interview, you know, the reason he got this contract from Reicher Entertainment was after Pulp Fiction, the Quentin Tarantino movie, everybody was looking for their big indie hit. But you got to understand that
1: at that time, probably based on the success of Pulp Fiction and a couple other small independent films, there was a lot of cash floating around from these cable companies. So if you could make a movie for under 2 million bucks, they could kind of sell it off piece by piece with just enough kind of genre elements and a, and a couple cast names, and you could just go make your movie.
0: I mentioned my film professor back uh, a little bit ago, Kay McDonough. I still remember years ago, she asked me, she's like, what do you think was the film for your generation that changed things for people? She's like, I think it's 2001 because after that people became really interested in space a lot of people became astronauts and i was like well i was like i'm gonna kind of invert my answer to that because i feel like pulp fiction however you feel about it made everybody want to be a filmmaker Mm. it didn't make anybody want to be like a hitman or a heroin addict but everybody saw pulp fiction was like oh I could do that. That's what I want to do. Right. You know, he comes along in that era. Totally. In which everybody's wants to cut a check for a young, hot, confident filmmaker. And he's a white, Man, Yeah, yeah. So, a like, young, he, confident white, white man, man. Exactly. who's got all the privilege in the world. Right, so he, he fits the bill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, I, I think it it's just a matter... You know, he said his original cut was two and a half hours. They cut it down to an hour and a half. I was bluffing my way
1: through it, and I kind of, like... I should have had a 90-minute movie, and I cut together this, like, two and a half hour thing, and I thought, you know, I had to, like, <laughs> plant a firm <laughs> stake. Like, I'm not changing a frame of it. And they're yeah. like, I don't know about that. But really, was I only? I've only been working on it for three or four weeks. And I just, I hadn't had time to, to cut it properly. To cut it properly. And I was just bluffing, man. I mean, I was just completely making it up as I was going along.
0: He supposedly got it back after raising the money. It's $200,000 that he raised. Um, John C. Riley, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, and Philip Baker Hall also contributed money to... Yeah, all people who are in the film. Yes, yes, correct. Um, I think this is one that's. One of her first movies, right? It's towards the beginning of her career, yes. Um, John C. Riley, who... Like, he had met via... Or through the Sundance um, Labs connection. He was like, you know... In Paul's eyes, he he was a veteran. He had already done a lot of movies. Right. But... Um, He'd done like five. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it... Heart 8 is a story about a gambler who, like... Wants to... I don't know find some solace with this protege played by John C. Riley. Um, things go madcap and wire. Like there's, it's just um, Samuel Jackson is in it. Um, I will say the movie's like not great for women. No. Um, Gwyneth is the only woman in it really. Um, and that it thinks it's good for women, but like, and that <laughs> is definitely a, I would say if there's one <laughs> big issue with most PTA films, not great for women, not great for women. And like, yeah, I don't hate the movie, but I don't think it's brilliant either. But I do think it shows off that he is... It's it's very clear he's a good director hmm. from the early outset. And it's very clear that he has a specific viewpoint that was not necessarily being used during that time. A lot of the up-and-comers from that era, a lot of the, the young indie filmmakers... We're doing a lot of the handheld stuff. Mm. We're doing a lot. And his was very classic and very formalist. His camera is always moving. If it it can be on a dolly, it's going to be on a dolly. (laughs) I hate comparing filmmakers to other people, but it's an easy way for people to understand. You know, he is such a big Robert Altman fan, and he has very similar shades of Robert Altman but he's not as free as mm. Robert Altman was. He's almost like a Kubrickian formalist. Like everything is structured. <laughs> everything is planned down to the, to the moment. It's like a little neurotic. Yeah. Like it's a little that, that Gen X yeah. vibe. Like it's very there and, and very present. Just like kind of neurotic. While he was working on Heartache, he was also writing Boogie Nights. Yes. Um, and So, Heartache comes out in 1995. Um, He's 26. Um, Or he's 26 when Boogie Nights comes out. Allow me to flip my computer. Yes, correct. What were we doing when we were 26, Kevin? Oh, I don't know. Where were you living? I was here. I was here. here in New York City. Yeah, yeah. I was either in San Francisco, but I... I wasn't making movies i'll tell you that okay um i wasn't raising two hundred thousand dollars to finish <laughs> movies okay hardy kind of gives him some indie cred people are like oh he's a good director um it gets like pretty decent reviews uh roger ebert wrote movies like Heart eight remind me of what original compelling characters the movies can sometimes give us
1: I would he give you fifty dollars what would you do with it i'd eat how long can you eat? How long can you live on $50? I don't know. I would bet not very long.
0: You would bet. So it didn't make like a huge splash, but but enough. But enough, yeah. It was like right time, right place. Um, New Line Cinema basically was like sniffing around for who is our tarantino what is our indie like hit they'd already made like a bunch of money with um i think seven um the austin power movies had just come out like it was so they were like we 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 want some prestige we want some um credibility and i mean new line for a very long time was referred to as the house that freddie built correct correct nightmare on elm street was their first movie so they they wanted something that would Put them in the market of, like, hey, that award-producing company? Right. Um, And story goes that Paul Thomas Anderson's, like, script for um, Boogie Nights was, like, 300 pages. Like, a full, like, fucking Bible. And he was, like, toting it around Sundance. um, And basically, like, hounding the president of New Line and being like, here it is, baby. Let's get it going. The president read it fell in love with it um but again it would like be kind of a a tug of war like he wanted to make a very pornographic some might say um very long movie uh and he was 26 uh the movie was made for like what 15 million dollars something like it wasn't a lot but even then new line was like (laughs) no 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 no. Um they had to cut a lot of scenes. They had to be very like specific to make they were like it has to be under 3 hours. It has to be rated R. We cannot have an NC-17 right. movie here. Um and a lot of like I think it holds the record for uh MPA um like requests. Uh they were like you can't show a woman like humping and talking. It can be like humping or talking, like one or the other. A lot of the movie that is like cut out. I think uh if you happen to have a dvd of it you there's a lot of um and that's something very common on most paul thomas anderson you know um kids they used to have these things called dvds Mm -hmm. and dvds had special features they were kind of fun oh i mean they were my favorite i I mean that's the when i was a teenager and dvds came around and i spent my first two paychecks buying myself a dvd player that that was my favorite thing listening to director's commentaries, watching deleted scenes and yeah but i mean it's very common and a lot of the a lot of that now has shown up on youtube because he almost re-edits them because once again paul thomas anderson is control yes re-edits them into like mini movies like non-narrative mini films we talked about this movie in our julianne moore episode yeah very (laughs) loosely yeah yeah um but boogie nights is a is basically the story of dirk diggler like now in a full you know almost three hour movie i think it's like two hours and like 30 minutes or something yeah there was a lot of back and forth though like new line was like let's do these cuts and he's like i think the fuck not (laughs) um and he, he didn't have creative control over the movie like he did not have final cut but he did end up getting a lot of what he wanted um and even though it was testing really poorly it was a commercial um And critical, just like, success. People love this movie. This was the return of Burt Reynolds, um, who famously... Yeah, famously had a huge issue with... Didn't want the film, thought the film was going to be trash, got there, saw how young everybody was. There's a a thing in Burt Reynolds' autobiography where he was talking about shooting a scene, and he said Paul Thomas Anderson was so smug that he, he couldn't stand him, and they would end a scene and Paul Thomas Anderson would be like that was so good we did this thing and fucking Burt Reynolds would reply yeah we did this in this other movie I was in like well yeah if you like look at my film like if you're gonna steal kids steal from the best right and listening to that and knowing what we know about Burt Reynolds especially from doing the Sally Field episode that just makes me think he was just being an old Ah, asshole crotchety yeah
1: there was tension for sure I mean there was tension that 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 happened that you know i was 26 years old and really full of a lot of vinegar and confidence and and barking directions at everybody and i think um just trying to get this film made and i think some of that probably got directed at Bert, and he wasn't having it and nor should he have but um but that's not to say there weren't great great moments
0: Bert reynolds gets a nominated for an oscar for this movie um him julianne moore and I think it gets for best original screenplay. Yes. I saw um, a quote that Mark Wahlberg said, who stars. Mark said, if Burt wasn't an asshole, he would have won the Oscar. Yeah. But Burt hated the movie so much. He hated being in it, but he he was one of the ones who got like the most acclaim and praise for it, which is kind of wild. Yeah. I've also heard that his like negative press tour is what tanked his opportunity to get that Oscar. Yeah. And it was his return. He would like, it would have been like the perfect little, but whatever, fuck him. And he's good in the movie. He is good. Yeah. He's good. I, I like the movie a lot. Um, it's, uh, you know, sad. It's, tender it's shocking it's, it's funny it's funny and it's occasionally epic yes. and, and, and i mean that in the traditional sense like there there's a lot of stuff that happens in it that and the other thing that i love and we've, we've talked about this before character arcs uh paul thomas anderson said the thing that he was most interested in going in was making a movie in which no one changed yeah and it's really true when you watch it the character arcs exist but that's circular. They, you know, they they end up exactly sort of where they were. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, these characters are kind of tragic, so they have to go through the tragedy, but they're not going to, like, be changed for the better, quote-unquote. Right. Like, in the end, they're like, oh, we were actually at our best when we were together as a family. Yeah. You know, um, what if we weren't selfish? Um, so that's Boogie Nights. Um, basically, Newline said... Okay, kid, I guess fuck us. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. literally whatever. They basically, he had already started um, writing Magnolia. Yeah. He had this idea, and <laughs> they had it. They didn't read anything. No. And he kept telling people, oh, it's going to be small. It's going to be yeah, intimate. Yeah. It's going to be like 90 minutes. And then in his own words, he kept saying, it just kept blossoming. Uh, but I do think it's funny. Did you ever hear the story about how he wrote it? He like spent a week in William H. Macy's cabin and on his first day he went outside and saw a snake and he was too scared to leave the cabin Incredible! so he He'd... spent the entire. Atti- that's me baby Incredible. That's me. that would be me I would be like I saw a snake out there I am staying inside guess, I guess... I'm writing a novel <laughs> yeah, exactly um you bring up William H. Macy, though, is a good um, point for me to say. He works with a lot of the same people. Yes. A lot of the characters and the actors will be seeing it in, like... And a lot of the behind-the-scenes people as yes. well. You know, Jack Fisk comes up a lot, who does a lot of his scenic design. He uses, you know, John Bryan towards the beginning of his career to score his films. And he's done the same thing with Johnny Greenwood now. He's keeping it in the family. Yeah. Um, but so he does Magnolia next. Um, and it's again, this big sprawling, you know, uh, ensemble piece, um, that, that is like kind of, um, uh, punctuated by uh, this kind of cuckoo bananas performance from Tom Cruise. The movie is hard to describe. We yeah. also talked about this in our Julianne Moore episode because she famously is also in this movie. Um, but, uh, it's about grief and, uh, acceptance and forgiveness. Um, there's a musical number. <laughs> There's a weather event. There is a weather event. Uh, it also it also is just a success. Um, you know, it gets nominated for no- another couple round of Oscar things, and and like make no mistake, this movie. Is indulgent It's mm-hmm. not We don't want to When he like Finished wrapping it He was like For better or worse This is the best movie I've ever made yes. I will ever make And I was like Okay that's A 26 year old And and as you've said In more recent interviews He's been like I could cut 20 minutes yeah, To yeah. half an hour out of it Recently like, he's like Ah, uh, that movie's too long. Yeah, uh, it didn't need to be that long. And I'm like, yeah, huh? Oh,
1: I'd slice that thing down. <laughs> I'd cut. Mean, it's right. way, okay. it's way too fucking long. Good. Oh no, it's 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 unmerciful how long it is. It's yeah, you won't get any. Yeah, I won't defend it.
0: And there's some really tender stuff that clearly comes from. Ugh. I mean, all of this, the Jason Robards stuff. is Jason Robards is dying, he said that you know, in later in his life, his father remarried. So a lot of the Julianne Moore stuff comes from the this, like, woman who was ill-prepared to take care of his father right. as he was dying. Um, and so, like, there is personal... There's a lot of stuff in yeah. there. I mean, that... it, it's wild because, like, so he also worked on a game show as, like, when he was a kid. One of the plots of um, this game show, um, there, John C. Riley basically asked him if he could, like, play someone who was, like, yeah. lovable. Yeah, because he kept playing sort of man child yeah. yeah and so <laughs> and there he was like okay girly like let's get you in there too there's a great it was uh, speaking of special features it was a special feature on the dvd but you can find it on youtube there's a great hour-long making of documentary oh my about my wow. it's called that moment and it is a portrait of a a man who is not willing to compromise on anything there's a great new and, times yeah magazine article where he's like literally the <laughs> The writer basically arrives at his house and he's like screaming, yelling, so furious because he just saw the poster that New Line made for the movie. Yeah. And and then he's like, this is what they fucking want to run as a trailer, puts on the trailer and is screaming in the background. Um, what ends up happening is that he designs his own poster. Yeah. And he cuts his own trailer. And that's going to be for the rest of his career. Yep. He's going to be in charge of doing the the promo materials, essentially, for his own movies as well. Yes. And so, like, he is a control freak. I don't I don't want to, like, yes. tell people he's not. Like, he he has to be the captain of his own shit. But in that same story, he's like, they're like, Paul, like, you won. Like, we're doing the thing you want to do. And he's like, I know, but, like, I was an asshole about it. And I was a jerk. And, like, I shouldn't do that. But, like, and they're like, but it's over, like it's fine, and he, and so like it is this weird like fluctuation between yeah. like you guys do whatever you want, but make sure it's exactly what I want. <laughs> I also think like William H Macy is such a funny character, and I love their relationship. <laughs> Me I, too. I, I love. Uh, I lo- and I like that character. Like once again, I don't. I don't know uh, in terms of like queer representation. I right. I don't know where Quiz Kid Donnie Smith fits on the. On the yeah. scale of things. But yeah, I don't find it offensive in any way. No, I don't to, I will say, even though his moves are very straight, there's always some like homoerotic yeah. things well, going even, on. All the way back to the Dirk Diggler story. Oh, please. Uh the the John C. Riley character, it like flat out is like Not that just, was his lover. John C. Riley. Yeah, the John C. Riley character from Boogie Nights, the the character that that is reflected in the Dirk Diggler documentary he made when he was a teen that like it's explicit like that he was his lover not you know whereas in boogie nights it's like well they have the philip seymour hoffman character right exactly who is like clearly oh so sad i know it's such a good performance um he's clearly like a, a queer person who maybe doesn't have the vocabulary yeah and maybe doesn't feel safe yeah, uh, to express that, um, cl- and, and you know sees this gorgeous Mark right. Wahlberg. <laughs> the, when the scene where he does kiss him. I know we're talking about another movie now. We went back to Boogie Night*. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the scene where he does kiss him is like the saddest thing in the world. But it's when it gets punctuated by like, he's like, do you like my car? Yeah. Because if you didn't, I was going to return it. I know. I was like, no.
2: That's oh. so heartbreaking. I'm sorry. What sorry, the hell was the matter with I'm you? I'm sorry. I, uh, Why did you do that, Scotty? Uh, you look at me sometimes. What I just want to know if you like me.
0: Well, of course. Yeah, I like you, Scotty. I... Can
2: I kiss you, Scotty? Please, I don't. Can I kiss you on the mouth?
0: No. And I will, Philip. Say, girl, get some self-respect. To <laughs> the credit of PTA, though, it kind of goes back to like your thing of no judgment. Like Mark Wahlberg's character doesn't beat the shit out of him. No. Doesn't like it's truly <laughs> just, which he probably would in real life. In like, <laughs> it, yeah, like in in other hands. Yeah. I think that would have been like a moment to like show how manly um Dirk Diggler is or whatever. Um uh, but that's not the case. And probably I mean, Dirk also at the end of the movie, you know, is like yeah forced to go into sex work with men, um, much like the character that he's based off of. Uh but yeah, so I did appreciate that. And like you're right, in in Magnolia like I, yeah, like I said, maybe Quiz Kid Dunny Smith is not the paramour of queer, queer culture, but it is interesting to, to put that character, a character who's so lost and willingly seems to accept their queerness, but also doesn't know how to, like, I mean, it function but- as a human being.: I'm
1: sick I'm in love. You seen the sort of person who confuses the two? That's right. That's the first time you've been right. I confuse the two, and I don't care. Hey. Hey! I love you. I I love you, and I'm I'm sick. I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm getting corrective oral surgery tomorrow, for my teeth. I love you, Brad.
0: Brad, the bartender. You wanna
1: love me back? I'll be good to you. I'll be goddamn
0: good for you. But, like, him and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Boogie Nights are kind of the same thing. They're willing to, like, do expensive things to try and prove to a pretty classically hot masculine man that they, like, they can be with them that... So what you're saying is there's some really hot guy that PTA is just can never he's like he's like I, I will this- make that one movie yeah. that will <laughs> Hey Ryan Reynolds, I made this movie for you. Do you <laughs> exactly. like it? Uh, it's called Licorice Pizza. Yeah. I hope I you just encourage like, you like licorice on your pizza. It's and crazy. um <laughs> and if you don't like it, I'll tell them not to put it out. Yeah, we can <laughs> just put it in the vault. Um okay, so there's Magnolia. Uh it's long, it's epic epic how do you feel about the the singing scene i love it you love it but i'm also a big amy man i mean to me i mean it's it's way more out there in terms of anything that robert altman presents in nashville but it's very much pta's nashville yeah like he's really trying to do robert altman's nashville with the (laughs) interconnecting characters but like i said he's, he's such a formalist because the thing that makes Nashville work is that it is so loose, mm. and it's able to sort of float between these people. and And I, I perhaps, Nashville's not a film you've seen, but you absolutely should. Uh, but and, I have and, seen a Love Actually, though. so oh, well, there you go. I get it. <laughs> but but that's the so I think that the when something like that happens, the the singing scene. Or when something like the weather event—I don't want to spoil it too much because that is. What do you mean go, spoil it? It's from nineteen ninety nine. I know, f- I know. So there's a scene in the film where, where it rains frogs, and uh, which, by the way, apparently when he gave the script to Philip Baker Hall, uh, he was like trying to describe it to him, and he's like. He's like, yeah, he's like, and then it rains frogs. And he thought <laughs> Philip Baker Hall would be like postures. And Philip Baker Hall was like, that happened to me once. I had to pull over to the side of the road. I was in Italy. <laughs> Picture it. I'm in Italy. It's raining frogs. Um, which I love. I think when that stuff happens, it feels more jarring than it, than it perhaps would in a film that was less bound by its own nervous energy and less you know uh, like everything is tense and you need those moments to alleviate the tension but there may be a step too far for some people i i like them because like i need that like i need a scene where everybody sings wise up by amy Mann. what's fucking crazy is sam she was saying every fucking guy is like loves that scene and she was like I fucking know. I know you guys love that scene. I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. I get it. Yeah. And what's funny is that like that scene is so emotional and like um, uh, vulnerable. Yes. And it's very bizarre that like pro- probably like and I, I I know many of these straight men who I've dated girlfriends and who are exactly the guy who is like that scene fucking changed my life, bro. And it's like. These vulnerable things are the yeah. things that like these men gravitate towards, and it's like, yeah, imagine being soft, yeah, being loving, having emotions. Hmm. Yeah, what a thought. It's so funny too because apparently Julianne Moore sort of had to set the example for it. it was like, she no. was the lead vocalist, well, well, yeah, because <laughs> well, none of them wanted to do it because they all thought it was going to be very silly. So they made Julianne shoot hers. My good friend Julianne, yeah, they made her shoot hers first, with her doing her part. So they could get the tone for yeah. what PTA wanted out of them, and I think it's so smart because, I mean, having Jason Robards do it from his deathbed—I like, know, yeah—it's last note on that. As I'll just say that I thought Tom Cruise was very good. Yeah, it's fine in it. I—I th- was like, okay, great. And also, he's been interviewed before. Um, he's not a bad actor. He's just no. a bad person. <laughs> Correct. Paul Thomas Anderson's like, I knew that he had that within him. I knew he could pull it off. That's the other interesting thing about Paul Thomas Anderson is he sees things in people that they perhaps uh, people might already know is there or maybe not. You know, he during the press tour for this, people are like, what's next? And he's like, oh, I'd love to work with Daniel Day-Lewis. And I'd love to work with Adam Sandler. Yeah. And then guess what? Yes. <laughs> and so the next movie he makes and he also was like, Okay, this one will be shorter. This yes. one will be shorter. And you know what? He did. And he did. He pulled it off. He makes Punch Drunk Love in 2002 with um, Adam Sandler and Emily Watson. Um, it's a movie about this kind of like very neurotic. Socially uh, s- awkward. Small business owner. Yeah. Um, who has like a squad of sisters who seven, are. at Seven, I believe. Who are just awful to him. Yeah. Um, and Another g- great like representation of women. Yes, truly. Like literally they they are the personification of just, like, nails on a chalkboard. Like, hey, you stupid idiot! Yeah. <laughs> Don't take things so seriously, God. Constantly what's... calling him gay, too. Yeah, uh... yeah, literally. Remember when we called you gay and you would cry about it? Yeah. I was like, ah. Uh... The, the funny thing is, is most of them, most of the actresses playing those roles outside of uh, Mary Lynn cub are not actors. I mean, they... It, it The movie feels like... <laughs> in parts very natural other parts there's some like magic realism shit going on yeah well that's a i mean people have said you found a way to take the thing that adam sandler does in his movies and put it in a more real world and every time i've seen someone say that in an interview he's like punch on love isn't a real world yeah. <laughs> he's like it is a magical like, like there's like tiny fucking pianos yeah. appearing at doorsteps and shit Also, Philip Seymour Hoffman in another kind of small role in that that movie, uh, but very, very memorable role. So, Mm -hmm. that's now four movies Philip Seymour Hoffman has done with him. And it's a love story between Emily Watson and Adam Sandler. How do you feel about this movie, though, overall? Not great. I don't love it. I I I'm in the minority on that one. I know a, this is another one that a lot of film bros really like. He calls out Robert Altman by doing the Popeye. He needs me. Um, the song "He Needs Me" from the movie Popeye, sung mm. sung by Olive Oil, is used repeatedly. It's mixed into the score and everything. Uh, I have issues with this film because while I acknowledge it is not a real world, I the the thing that Adam Sandler is doing. It's not that I'm offended by it, but I just don't that is a man with real problems. Right. Real, real problems. And needs help. And like I kinda hate movies where love cures mental illness. Mm, so and you I hate love. Yes, I hate love. Okay. Um and so I it's one of those things that like I have a hard time breaching that. I'm well aware that's a personal thing. I don't hate this movie by any means. I saw when this movie came out, I was not a fan actually. And then I'd revisited it a bunch and I've I've grown to like it better. I think it's a, also a very beautiful looking film and I love the way that like everything is kind of drab until they go to Hawaii at the end and then suddenly everything's colorful. It's a very old-timey film technique. Uh but yeah, I don't know. And I also don't Emily Watson I don't know if she needs to be fleshed out more, but I don't understand why she's. In it's love very with her. it's very random. She's like, I actually brought my car because I wanted to meet you. Right, it's like, and in the scene that you you sort of have to be paying attention, but in the scene where he's buying the pudding to like yeah, do yeah. do the frequent flyer miles scam. Like, in the background, super blurry, in a red dress. She's watching him in each aisle. That's called filmmaking, Gavin. Okay, <laughs> ever heard of it? Foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Cinema Verite. <laughs> You're just going to name all that. Mise en scène. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Mise en place. <laughs> bon appétit. I uh, prefer tapas. <laughs> 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 um, Punch truck glove, I would say... Um, kind of underperforms yeah. critically and commercially. Um, I think people are like, "Oh, Adam Sandler did the thing." But like beyond that, it's like right. not really if if we want to get into like the gossipy territory, um John Bryan who works with him on his music, worked with him for the last couple of films, stops working with Paul Thomas Anderson after this movie. Uh it's because he had recently broken up with Marilyn Rischkub. Who plays the sister and they had to watch the f- hours and hours and hours of the film to watch to watch the woman that he'd recently broken up with act over and over and over again it's very painful for him in turn he then encouraged fiona apple who was paul thomas anderson's ex at the time yes to write a new album which was extraordinary machine is that the i don't know which album but i do i, I forgot that he dated for quite a while, Fiona Apple. Yeah. And they were like weird Gen X hot it couple. Yeah. Well, there's this, I mean, there's this really weird, um, yeah, I believe it's an extraordinary machine, which apparently like I've, I've heard that album many times, but I didn't realize like a lot of it's about her breakup with Paul Thomas Anderson and it doesn't paint a pretty picture. Gag. Uh, but so like, show her hands out. Every
1: couple of weeks when he's editing, you know, we should watch the whole movie, beginning to end. Doesn't matter how many times you've already seen it, everybody gets very, very myopic. And it keeps him in the mind that people used to have to be in with films, which is, hey, what's important to the story? Guy who'd worked on tons of films was in visiting, and Paul played a big chunk. That guy stopped for a second and said, yeah, but you know, is there a problem here with the, narrative almost seems like some of this doesn't add up or something and I kid you not because I sat next to him and uh, without the slightest bit of guile he turned around and said I know isn't it great if anyone else in town starts fucking doing that maybe we'll have some movies to watch
0: they work together really well and like he mostly has complimentary stuff to say about Paul Thomas Anderson but you will see there's a couple bridges that get burnt over time okay um But uh, seasons may change from winter to spring. Exactly. The next movie he makes is 2007's There Will Be Blood. Yes. Um, Again, he is speaking it into existence. He says, you know about that Daniel Day? (laughs) The movie is loosely based on Upton Sinclair's novel Oil. He said that, like, it's mostly, like, the first hundred pages of the book. um, And it was mostly for, like, a vibe check um, and just really setting the scene because he had He had been writing a story about families that wasn't really working. And it wasn't until he literally started... He randomly picked up this book. Yeah, he said he was homesick. He was in England at the time. Right. And he was homesick for California. And he found Upton Upton Sinclair's oil and was like, oh, yes, California. Yeah, right. Like, I miss Southern California. Let me fucking read this um, oil book. Um, The movie is... Stunning! It's a smash. It's like named one of the best of all times in a million places. Daniel Day-Lewis wins an Oscar. Uh, It's nominated for a bunch of... I think it's the first movie he makes that's nominated for Best Picture um, and Best Director. Yeah, goes up against the Coens in No Country for Old Men, which was filming right next to them. In fact, one day when they lit the oil derrick on fire, they had to shut down filming for uh no country for old men because the black cloud just like ruined everything for them so but it's funny that th- those two competing pictures became like the biggest pictures of that year it was the year of like the wild wild west yeah in cinema uh yeah and by they... that you mean they both use the Will Smith song wild wild west correct. as part of their soundtrack correct yeah. it's very shocking but it works <laughs> um this movie was shot in Marfa. It's very indie. Loves that <laughs> for them. Um, I didn't know this. Like I was reading a because I, I love this movie. I think it's great. Um, I had never seen it before. Ha. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah. Between this and No Country for Old Men, I was like, oh, these look like masculine bro movies that I don't want. But I was so surprised because this yeah. movie is so good. And it's very not. Um, yeah. Even and I was like, I probably was like a little bit like, oh, I don't want to see Daniel Day Lewis yelling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But a lot of the movie isn't him yelling. No. His character is so, like, complex and weird. What I didn't know was that Paul Dano was, like, uh, moved up from, like, being just one of the brothers to playing both of the brothers. Right. Because the guy that they had hired, um, like, either quit or was, like, let go. he was let go. And he has said since that, you know, them letting him go was the best thing that ever happened to him because he always wanted to be a filmmaker and not really an actor. And he's like, had they not fired me, I'd still be trying to be an actor. And now he like works on making movies. So the rumor was that like, he was intimidated by yes. Daniel Day Lewis, which I, yeah, bitch, not, I was not shocked. I was intimidated to watch it because of Daniel Lewis. <laughs> I can't imagine being it, but I was like, Paul Dano is so good. And like Paul Dano is a freak. And so was Daniel yeah. Lewis. And so like, it's, it's so, so good. There's a lot of like, there are a lot of movies Um, not a lot because he's made eight, but a lot of his movies have, um, moments where like, there's a freak, a main freak. And then there's another freak who's like, you think you're the freak. I'm the real freak here. And it's, and it's so funny too, because this plays so well into it because literally, you know, Daniel Plainview, which is the, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis character is like, well, I have the money and Paul Dano's character is is essentially like that's fine but i have the land and i have the people Mm -hmm. like and so you fucking need me yeah yeah eli sunday and so it's like this gross sort of competitive yet parasitic relationship and in a way they're the the i hate saying this because it makes me sound like so cheap but like they're the opposite sides of the same coin you know it's they both worship a god except paul danos is the christian god and daniel plain plain views is oil yeah money and power and um the moment i realized this movie was kind of gaggy was when like he's like you must allow me to say the prayer before we start the oil and he's like okay and then like literally grabs her his sister she's gonna bless it and now we're moving along. And he's there with his little Bible being like, what the fuck just happened? I was like, oh, shenanigans, shade. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I This movie is kind of gaggy. Yeah. And I like it a lot. Um, so that's 2007. The Master is his first little foray into working with Joaquin. Yes. The Joker Phoenix. <laughs> and I got to say, like, for me, it's not... I. Oh, really? I love The Master, but I get it. I get it. I mean, my thing... So, I think after seeing um, There Will Be Blood um, and then later Phantom Thread, I'm like, see, Daniel Day-Lewis is in so much more control of his craft. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, is similar in so much more control of his craft. Joaquin Phoenix is just like a flailing magic harp like but do, but do you not think that that works specifically no, for this character? Mm-hmm. oh really because i think i think that like i think this, it's embarrassing <laughs> really i think this is the place where like if you're gonna do it like do it so we're like jumping ahead the master is about a lot of things like his movies are a lot about a lot of things yeah. but essentially there is um a man freddie Quell. Freddie Quell, who's like, oh my god, also there's a lot, again, so much weird kind of sex stuff. Oh yeah, um, this, I mean, if if you had to be like, his gay movie, this is his gay movie. You think? Yeah. I mean, I'm... No, tell me. Well, no, I will, but I mean, I think there's plenty of avenues to... And that's one of the things I like about his movies as well. And like, <laughs> we literally said th- nothing about this movie yet. <laughs> I know. Every time we try, we're like, wait, <laughs> okay. Uh, the very cliff notes version: Freddie Quell comes back from World War II. He's disillusioned. He's violent. He's angry. Uh, he sneaks aboard uh, a ship, and it happens to be the ship of a up-and-coming, essentially cult leader, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who has created this religion called. Fake Scientology. Yes, fake Scientology. I mean, it absolutely is fake. But it's called the Cause. Dodd sort of enlists Freddie Quell into becoming his right hand man, and it becomes this once again weird symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Do they hate each other? Do they love each other? Like, what is going on? You have Amy Adams playing Peggy Dog Len- Lancaster Dodd's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the impression that like she's very controlling Mm -hmm. and there's a very awkward hand job scene she said you're gonna stop drinking right (laughs) i'm giving gavin an air hand yeah i was gonna say (laughs) louis is miming right now (laughs) and and she's like you're gonna come for me
2: you can do whatever you want as long as i don't find out as
1: long as no one that i know Knows about it. Oh. Other than that, stop with this idea. Oh. Okay. Put it back
2: in its pants. Oh. Okay. It didn't work for them and it's not going to work for you. Okay. We have enough problems as it is. Oh. Okay. You come for me. Oh, yes.
0: Some of the stuff that Freddie, that um, Lancaster Dodd does at the end when he sings, which turns out there's a deleted scene as to why, but when he sings slow boat to China to him at the end, where he's like, I would love to get you alone on a slow boat to China. uh, Like there's, there's, you know, there's ways of interpreting it that you could be like, is Lancaster Dodd like in love with Freddie Quell? Is he in love with his freedom? Mm. Is he, you know, does he wish That he could be this more animalistic thing? Does he see somebody that he... Just a rube that he can control? Yeah. And that's the sort of... You know, he needs this hard-headed, you know... It feels a little groomy. Yeah. Like... And I I think all of that relationship stuff... And that's what I was going to say is... The thing I think is fascinating about a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson movies... Is he invites you into your own analysis... And it's not always necessarily about what's being said. Sometimes it's about what's not being said. And, like, listen, I'm not slamming any film that, like, any big budget mainstream film that's out there. But sometimes it's nice to watch a movie and not hear a character just, like, vomit exposition for two hours. So this is why you did this exactly? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I... The Master, I think, is... You know, the Master's sort of up there with Magnolia in terms of his most like maybe cerebral cerebral, maybe inaccessible, but also like really fascinating and interesting. And plus, I mean, the look like nothing looks like the master. It's so gorgeous. You know, they shot it all in 70 millimeter. They had a giant camera the studio didn't want them to use. Nobody could project it. Well, it took like a long time for this movie to get made because yeah. Universal was like no, girl, we don't care who the fuck you are or what you've made. We're right. not doing this stupid shit. Um, and so it took a while, even though he had, like, these stars on deck. Um, the movie, like, is successful, both critically and commercially. Um, I just think that Joaquin Phoenix is embarrassing. What kind of bums me out is that, like, <laughs> PTA loves Joaquin, loves yeah. him, has said that, like, his performance in The Master, he's, like, in awe of. And I'm like, well, the um, it's- that's straight behavior. <laughs> This is unfortunately the final performance Philip Seymour Hoffman gives mm-hmm. for PTA. Uh, he passed away after that, I'm sure, w- very hard. I mean, once again, this out of his eight movies, he did six of them, you know. Yeah, the only one he had it, when, while he was alive it was, was There Will Be, there be Blood. blood. Yeah. yeah, And it's funny because he said when he started writing There Will Be Blood, he'd written, you know, for his friends to be in, and then realized like he didn't want to do the same thing again. He didn't right. want to be accused of doing the same thing again and was like okay, I'm going to use almost almost an entire cast of people I've not worked with again. Yep. But you know, that's there's like one or two people in it that pop up, but for the most part it was a completely new cast. Yeah, and he the, I I listened to a show and they asked him like what do you miss most about uh, um, Philip and he was like everything. I miss everything about him.
1: I Thought that when I saw him for the first time in scent of a woman, that I that I just knew what true love was. I knew what love at first sight was, and it was the strangest feeling sitting in a movie theater, thinking, uh, he's for me, and I'm for him." You know, and that was it.
0: He gave him so right. many different types of roles and t- different types. of And, people to and play. he said when he would tailor a role to an actor, he would like get their input, mm-hmm. and so the master, you know, Lancaster Dodd was written solely for Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. with Philip Seymour Hoffman's input. Right after that, he makes Inherent Vice. Yeah. While the master was like on the shelves, Universal dumped it. Yeah. And so he put it on a shelf for a couple months. While that was sitting, he started writing Inherent Vice, um, which is a adaptation of a Thomas Pynchon novel. Yes, Thomas Pynchon. Yeah. I don't like Thomas Pynchon. I'll be honest. Don't know her. Um <laughs> I, I read... Crying of Lot 49 and Gravity's Rainbow, he's not for me. That's fine. I, I'd never... This was the PTA movie i had never seen. Mm. I'd, I'd been sort of avoiding it. Uh, I finally watched... Because of it, Pynchon? Uh, because of Pynchon. Uh, but I ended up... I, I thought it was okay. Um, I think PTA finds a really good way of distilling that sort of like, very heady, but sort of philosophically uh... Sallow. I, now I'm just saying adjectives. Uh, but uh but like that's the Thomas Pynchon stuff that I that I hate. It's like like here's a really heady idea and here's a poop joke and here's a really paranoid idea and here's yeah. another poop joke. And it's like, okay. I will say I thought this movie was like funny in little places and then boring for the rest. Yeah, the, the in the pace is a real big issue with this. I mean, this was him doing not to once again bring up Robert Altman, but this was him doing The Long Goodbye, which is a very famous Robert Altman adaptation of the uh Raymond Chandler novel that is very beachy and chill and, like, yeah. very 70s. But also, it's, like, again, another movie where women are, like, you know, not great for them. Not at all. Um And I... The- Though... Reese Witherspoon was fun. Reese Witherspoon was fun. Um, there's a lot of like this, like there's a lot of drugs in this movie. There's a lot of fucking in this movie. Um, a lot of just like kind of bizarro. It's I don't think it's and and this is not a good or a bad thing. It's just inaccessible. Yeah, it's not an easy watch. Yeah, um, because it's not like a really coherent plot. It kind of is sprawling. Um, for me. Especially because of the Joaquin Phoenix of it all. Welcome to Chick Planet Massage. Please take note of today's Pussy Eater Special, which is good all day till closing time. Mm, how much is it? Fourteen ninety-five.
2: Well, not that fourteen ninety-five dollars ain't a totally groovy price, but I'm actually trying to locate this guy who works for Mr. Wolfman. Oh, does he eat pussy? A fella named Glenn Charlock? Oh, sure, Glenn. He comes in here. He eats pussy. Well, Glenn and I were in Chino around the same time. You seen him today? Are you
1: a cop? The reason I ask is if you were a cop, you'd be entitled to a free preview of our Pussy Eaters special. What
2: about a less PI?
1: Hey, Bambi! This
0: is his latest movie, uh, not including the one that's coming out now. Um, it's 2017's Phantom Thread*, Um, Reteaming him with Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, I think people were like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. This was kind of a shocking, maybe a little bit like turn for him. Very... Uh, Felt very personal, felt very, um, sumptuous, luscious, um, not quiet, quiet. Yeah. Um, but like gorgeous music. Yeah. Beautiful gowns. Like (laughs) genuinely, genuinely beautiful beautiful gowns. gowns. Um, and yeah, I again had also not seen this movie. Oh, I saw it in the theater and And people like I knew people loved it. I just never got onto it. Um, watched it and I was like, wow, Gorgina. Uh, Daniel again is just like the true master. Um, he says that this was his last movie, right? He, yeah. Daniel um, Day Lewis is like I'm out. Seventy five thousand. Yeah, he hasn't acted since. Who knows yeah. if he will? I mean, he was always somebody, and maybe this is for a Daniel Day Lewis episode later down the line. He's always been somebody who's been very weird about it. You know, he on it on the side he was a cobbler, person who makes shoes. Because he doesn't consider acting a noble profession. He so was like, a Keebler elf? He was a Keebler elf. Wow. So like... Making cookies now, that's nobility <laughs> um, there. Leslie Manville in this. Yeah. This is one of those fucking Vicky creps who came out of nowhere and was yeah. just like, uh, hey, I'm here, bitches. Yeah, like, yeah this is yeah. the movie where when she says, don't you dare fucking pick a fight with me. I will fucking end you, bitch. No, don't
2: turn it on me. I don't want your cloud on oh, my head. Shut up, You can shut right up. Don't pick a fight with me. You certainly won't come out alive. I'll go right through you, and it'll be you who ends up on the floor. Understood?
0: Daniel, I think, is an actual human who does method acting, and I think Joaquin is a (laughs) non-human who also does method acting. Um, The movie also gets a bunch of uh, Oscar nominations. It won for Best Costume Design for its Best Beautiful Gowns. And also, uh, do you know where he came up with the concept of this movie? This is my favorite story about the movie. Uh, no. He was sick... And my Rudolph was taking care of him, and he saw her look at him in a way that he had not seen her look at him since they'd started their relationship with such a love in her eyes. And he realized, like, oh, like, if I'm sick, she wants to take care of me. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, the movie has, like, a delicious, like... Uh, yeah. Ending. I, I definitely, uh, like, slightly perverse. There, I mean... I've heard people... Perverse. Subverse. Yeah. I've heard people interpret this film... And, listen, we've said that he's not the greatest at his women characters. Um, but I've heard people interpret this film as being sort of, like, a, a a way of justifying the the mental and emotional abuse of women. I don't think that's true. I think there's a very... Symbiotic sadomasochism. I was going like, this is there. High, this is high kink. Okay, yeah, yeah. like yeah, this is very that. Yeah, wh- what's it? The last isn't the last line? Kiss, kiss I'm me, hungry. darling. But uh, for my, is it the for my hungry boy or the the Gavin? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I kiss, thought <laughs> kiss me, darling, before I'm sick. But I think after that though, he says I'm hungry. Yeah, like your boy's hungry. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> yeah. Um, He's very good in it. She's very good at it. Leslie Mann is very good in it. Everybody, yeah, yeah, everybody doing their best. Um, Gavin, there. We also watched. Um, he does a, a a little documentary, right? Yes. Um, which is so just like I I got a lot out of it. Yeah, like, I loved it. It's great. It, oh, good, good. Because I've definitely seen people that are like, ugh, like I don't really understand. It seems sort of pointless, but it's not pointless. No. It's about the making of this album. It's a short documentary about. Um, a, a group in India making an album. The album is called Junun. Um They're making it with J- his frequent collaborator, Johnny Greenwood. It's just fucking special and fun and like it's very fly on the wall. There's not a lot of direct camera. It's kind of like just seeing these um, artists, these musicians doing this thing that they love and you know that they're doing it out of love because they're not famous. They're not... Like, the power keeps going out. It's on movie. Is that yes. right? So, yeah. you can go and find it. I think it's, like... It's a really quick watch. It's 60 minutes. Yeah. But, it, like, it's... It really put a smile on my face. And one of the things I love about it, too, is it it's one of the only times you see Paul Thomas Anderson really break from that formalism because he also does music videos. He does short films mm-hmm. and everything, but they still have that structure that like the camera moves this way and they get, you know, and Janoon, like the, the way that it plays, you know, it's so shaky. And so yeah. like the, you know, there's shot with drones and shot handheld and it's fun to see him loosen, loosen up. up. Yeah. Yeah. It feels less precious and yeah. somehow feels even, It feels less precious, but also feels very, like, loving. Yeah. Um, So, like Gavin said, he's directed a lot of music videos. I think most people right now will know him from his high music videos. Yes. Um, You know his connection to them, by the way? No. So, their mother taught him art when he was a kid. That's... Like, in school. Crazy town. He still has paintings he painted with her. He hung one in his child's bedroom. I feel like they are of the same place. Yeah, like it's well. Just that's what like, he said. Is they feel like home to him. Yeah. He also did a like Tom York short, uh, film. short thing for IMAX, yeah, essentially a music video. Yeah, it's on Netflix as well. It's night. It's like fifteen. It's called a one reel because it's fifteen minutes. In other words, one reel of film. It's called Anima. Um, it's fine. You know, it's a lot of dancey dance dancey dance um as far as personal life i mean we talked a lot about you know we mentioned that he's with uh his partners maya rudolph they have four kids um i've heard him talk about that they love the movies they love uh going to marvel movies uh he has a great story of like um his youngest came into a room like where he was editing a trailer and it said rated r and the kid was like oh another one why and he's like, oh, because he say like we say some bad words in there. I was like which ones? And he's like, you know, like the f word. And then the kid literally says, "fucking asshole." <laughs> I keep mentioning Robert Altman. Robert Altman was really like his career idol, uh, and and a filmmaker. You know, really, he's he said he was really influenced by Altman, Jonathan Demi, and Stanley Cooper, who have all since passed away. But Robert Altman. When he was making his final film, *A Prairie Home Companion*, they were really scared he was basically going to drop dead on set. Oh, so they hired PTA to be a standby director. So he had to like show up to set every day. To, He's like, still alive, babe. Yeah, exactly. To to like shadow his mentor, and and My Rudolph is in that movie too. So it's it's kind of funny. But yeah, the. That I'm glad he got to spend time with uh, Robert Altman before he passed. Yeah, I mean that kind of gets us today. I think we'll talk about licorice pizza in the fast forward. Um, he, neither of us has seen it, no, because it's not out until next week. Well, that is um, <laughs> planning on our part. Uh, but you know, I c- coming away from like you know, he has such a small body of work, but like he is so invested in every single thing, the writing, the directing. Maybe or maybe not cinematography, Uh, you know, the (laughs) The editing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like this is a a true auteur, right? Um, And he's still so young. Yeah. And and he's talked about like and this is kind of, I guess, getting into some fast forward vibes. But like he's like, Quentin Tarantino says he wants to retire after 10 movies. Ha ha. He's like, I want to do what I love for as long as I can. Are you crazy? My favorite thing about that quote that he said was like, it's like saying you're not coming to a house that you haven't been invited to i'm not coming over tonight well you weren't invited well i'm not coming right right it's like (laughs) i love how much he loves what he does yeah even though i don't understand some of it sometimes um i can still tell that like he is there and he's there's so much effort and gusto um and so i applaud the effort um all right gavin let's move into our picks Let's get into those one-star reviews. Do you want to go first? No, I want you to go first. You want me to go first? I want you to go first. Okay, fine. Fine, I will. Uh, My one-star review is 2014's Inherent Vice. Uh, I can see it. You know, and this is just me, like, so uh, here are eight films, and I was like, which one did I like the least? Yeah. Um, And honestly, like, I think thought that like it it's it's a confusing movie it um for me what had the least entertainment value um and i will say i know a lot of people love the master i didn't love the master but i thought it was beautiful yeah and i thought amy adams was great in it um <laughs> amy I, adams beautiful laura dern beautiful 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 <laughs> when they go to the uh Martin Short, essentially. Yeah, my favorite thing in the movie. That that's <laughs> truly, I was like, this mama is gold. So what have you been up to?
1: Escaping
0: mostly,
2: and I escape real good.
0: Escaping what?
2: Chris Skyler this like booby hatch. My parents keep sending me to. Booby hatch, up in Ojai. You know it. Shakes a tambourine. Ooh. Doctor Rudy. Okay, all
1: right. Japonica, you promised me. You did you not promise me? <laughs> what are you doing I here?
2: I escaped again for you. Oh, for okay. God.
0: Woo, woo! Look at the greedy little hippie snoring away. Are you? Nothing really else for me worked as far as storytelling. I felt it's the most like disconnected and dis. Yeah. Um, like he's. I don't feel him. In this, Oh, interesting. Um, okay. As opposed to, like, you know... Even though it is, like, the 70s, and he does love the 70s, and it is California, and it's all about California, to me, it just felt like... It, first of all, it's in service of this other book. Like, this right. is a story that he's trying to distill, and it felt very much like he, this is something that he probably admired. Um, I was just trying to, like, give his take on. But for me, I... I think Joaquin once again is just doing the most. And I'm just like, Ugh. um, and then also it, it just didn't, it just didn't, it never came together for me. It, it's for me, it's his most heady and like, but says the least. Yeah. You know, that's exactly how I feel about Thomas Pynchon. <laughs> so I get it. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, it's, it's the, like I said, the, the pace is so leisurely and there's so many ideas And like, I I definitely understand that, you know, it's coming from this 70s paranoia. Like when you moved out of the free love of the 60s and you moved, you're heading towards the materialism of the 80s. You have Nixon in the White House and it's a very paranoid time. You know, Vietnam is happening. And and so I, I think like that muddies everything up in a way that that makes it maybe not as pleasant but also the ideas are so disparate over the entire thing that it that you sit there trying to make the connections yourself and honestly they're not important right. and and that's a little frustrating to watch a 3 hour movie where nothing's important yeah i i liked it a slight, slight i liked it a sight better than you did okay but i can see i mean i think it's just like also so the movie is about uh, this Stoner hippie, private investigator. If I had to look at the bottom of his dirty fucking feet one more time in I that know. movie. <laughs> I know. And I was like, "Who's this for? Is this for Tarantino? I know, Good buddy Tarantino." I, there's a lot of the things in this movie. I'm like, "Who? One who is this for?" But also, it's like, "Am I supposed?" I I was like, "Wait, is this how it was like?" He's pretending to be a doctor. He's writing notes. I was like, what is going on? He's a private investigator. And like, there's a plot about a contractor buying up homes. And like, it's kind of talking about gentrification, but like really early and pushing black people out. There's also like, there's mysteries about like his ex-girlfriend has gone missing. He's trying to find these people. There's a lot of drugs involved. Smuggling and. I was just like, what? is going on um josh Brolin's there he's cute yeah though kind of a bad person but we'll talk yeah. about that later uh reese witherspoon <laughs> like you mentioned yeah she's, she's fun yeah eric roberts in mm-hmm. a very small role like it's um joanna newsome in her first <laughs> acting role so yeah so there's that there's that i mean yeah there's there's stuff i like in it there but and like you said, there's definitely some things that actually really made me laugh. Yes. I mean, it's his, it's his most, like, flat-out comedy, I would say. But even that is, you know... It, it. But I do like... I like that he, you know... A lot of his characters can be boiled down to, like, specific motivating factors. And I like that this character, specifically Joaquin Phoenix is playing, is, like, obsessed with mystery. And so like that's why he's a private eye. You know, he maybe may not be the world's best private eye, but he's certainly not terrible at his job because he's just obsessed with uncovering the truth. The movie itself maybe not less necessarily, obsessed. yeah. It's it's like the mystery is like kind of like this quagmire and then like the movie is even less interested in really expl- it's yeah. just like it's just like him fucking a lot and doing a lot of drugs and going to you know strip clubs or yeah. whatever and i was like okay like it, it felt to me like the most gratuitously like aggressively straight and i can just imagine a lot of like straight men being like yeah it's a fucking movie it really makes you think and yeah. it's like no it doesn't it actually means <laughs> nothing to me um but anyway gavin what was your one-star review so you probably guessed from the rewind but my one-star review is punch drunk love Which is a film that, like I said, I don't hate. But the parameters of this show is that we have to pick a best and a worst. And so if I have to pick one that I like the least, I believe it's Punch Drunk Love. Come at me, film bros. I do not care. I just have a really hard time with the relationship that this movie is supposed to build between Adam Sandler and Emily Watson. I, I don't understand what connects them. I have a hard time with Adam Sandler's character because I understand that. You know, as Paul Tom Sanderson has said, this is not a real world. That's fine. But his character doesn't feel like he fits in anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. And And it's frustrating to watch because I think there are moments where he's being vulnerable that we're supposed to laugh. And there are moments where he's being terrifying that we're supposed to laugh. And once again... If this were like a a normal, quote unquote, Adam Sandler movie, one of the $7 films that he makes for Netflix, (laughs) like that would be played much broader and it would feel, but here it's so uncomfortable. And yet I still feel like Paul Thomas Anderson's like, why aren't you laughing? I didn't get the sense that they were asking me to laugh, but what was weird, it was like this character is just like every awful thing that could happen to you in a day. All the time. Yeah. It's like, this is a character who's being punished over and over again for being vulnerable, for doing the right thing, for trying to be nice, to trying to placate his sisters, actually reaching out to someone who he thinks is like a safe person to say, can you please find me some help? Like every, Every single time he puts himself out there, he is beat up for it. And I guess that's the punch drunk part of this movie. But like the love part of it, does not um, feel like it is the balm that is supposed to like, right? Especially because like, number one, their chemistry is like tepid at best. Um, and I do think there are some sweet moments. Where, oh, I like, think there's absolutely some sweet moments when like and she I, calls down and is like, "I want you to kiss yeah. me." Like, and honestly, like I don't think Adam Sandler's giving a bad performance. No, no. but I don't think he's giving a great performance either you know that's the but i think it's just because like it's it's almost like the michael scott of it all like just like yeah but always and like maybe that's what you're getting at like there was never like in the office with michael scott like they're actually giving you some co- like harder comedy to like get there yeah um that doesn't really happen like i don't think punch drunk love is funny at all any place like I don't really either, and that. But I hope he doesn't think. But but I also don't think it's that sweet either. And I think I think it's supposed to be like well, love is bittersweet and whatnot. But it but it doesn't. No, it never gets there. It never gets there. There, like it's very brief shades of it because even, bitch, I'll say, going to Hawaii is a little bit psychotic behavior. Yeah. Um. I I I did like the ending. Um. When he goes to uh, Paul um. to philip super hoffman and they have a conversation. like i i was like yes finally this man has some fucking like life yeah. in him um did and, you and i really like the philip Seymour hoffman stuff mm-hmm. does that not feel like a full other movie to you though absolutely yes because because it occurs so late in the game what's your name sir answer me what's your name asshole i'm barry egan how do i know Anybody, You're a bad it. person. You have no right taking people's confidence in your service. You understand me, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut the fuck! You have up! no right to take. Shut to up!
2: Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up!
0: It's a little disconnected. It's yeah. It's very like. What universe is this in? Like, what? Why? Right. And I, once again, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in that. You know, the like, shut, shut up, shut up, you. You. you, no, fuck yeah. you. Yeah. Does he have a phone in his hand? Yeah. Yeah. And and he's so good at it. But at the same time, it it fully just feels like a whole other yeah. thing. Did you um, do you know what he said his favorite Adam Sandler movie is? No. But I can only guess it's something deranged. I want you to guess. Is it Big Daddy? It's Big Daddy. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely Big Daddy. Yeah, that makes sense. On this same show I was listening to, they asked him, like, why why did you want to work with Adam Sandler? I'm like, what do you love about him? But that's the other thing that I love about Paul Thomas Anderson is he doesn't he doesn't have a distinction between high and lowbrow art. Know. Like I and, love and, that which answer. Is, which is not which, yeah, is not me saying that I think it's lowbrow art. I don't, but I think the consensus would be that like if you put something like billy madison up against big daddy big, you know like or or you know punch drunk love like yeah. people would be like this is the order in which they right, are right 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 um but yeah he fully is like yeah i mean like i i like happy gilmore and yeah. like whatever he's like but big daddy is just like where you know It really works for me. And he also was just like, I think Adam Sandler, as he ages, is getting more and more handsome. I think like... That's actually probably true. And (laughs) and he was just like, I... And I was like, kind of taking it back. And again, being like, oh, because those same film bros would never pick Big Daddy. Right. I remember Hip Hop Anonymous a lot. Hip Hop Anonymous, And also when they go to McDonald's to try and get... Um, breakfast yeah and now they have 24 hour breakfast look thank you big be, daddy yeah be the change you want to see in the world um but yeah so, I, so all that to say i think uh that was a very good pick gavin um i think both of ours are kind of movies that like just don't work in every way that and he it, yeah. thinks that they work or yeah. want to work um flawed was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like um i don't think i got as much out of the master as everyone else did yeah i don't and think it's fine i don't think it's for everyone i i was yeah genuinely like at first just, I, th- I feel like it didn't recoup its money either so like yeah i i one i think you know i was at first not that success is based on monetary <laughs> value <everybody had. laughs> at first before I you was, think i'm a monster at first i was mostly disturbed by like Joaquin and his character and then I was like this is just embarrassing for me <laughs> secondhand embarrassment's a real thing yes I I've seen movies where I feel embarrassed um watching. but I mean that's kind of how I feel watching Adam Sandler and that and maybe like I, yeah I so, get it though. like but I I will say at the end of that movie I was like there is still a movie here obviously that he's trying to make about family and yeah. like you know finding your place and it's it works right like it gets the job done um, but not for And then it. some people are just really fucking lost. Yeah. And, and there just isn't. Yeah. Let's get out up. of our one star reviews and into our five star reviews. My five star review is 1997's Boogie Nights. I watched it again, uh, for this episode. And I was just like, she really does slap <laughs> from beginning to end. It's, it's giving you everything. like, Paul Thomas Anderson put his all into this movie, and it feels kind of like what I was saying. Like there is no the way that Inherent Vice felt so impersonal to me. Boogie Nights feels personal like on every level. Um, I love all the performances. I think that uh the, the family stuff here is just so potent. Um especially especially considering it's all about chosen family, especially considering it's about, uh, this deviance, quote unquote family. Yeah. Like, and for me, I guess it's like this perhaps in my eyes is his most queer film because it's about sex and sex positivity. And even though these are outcasts, there's that scene where, um, Don Cheadle is trying to get alone. He has moved away from the porn industry. He's married to a white woman, um, and you think that's where this is going? You think that this, like, the bank is not going to give him a loan because this is an interracial couple, and they're like, we cannot be associated with uh, pornography, and he's like, no, no, I, I this is a legitimate business. I, I'm not, that's not who I am anymore. This is not my life, um, and it just feels like, you know, yeah, like this the sex positivity of all. It, it's so. Um, Unjudgmental. Yeah. I love that uh, he cast real porn stars in the movie in roles that are not about porn at all. Uh, right. I think um is it Vicky Hart plays the judge? Yeah, and she's good. Yeah, she's great. And and everyone had said like, oh no, she is the greatest porn actress. Like that, she's a great actress. Um, the woman who plays uh, William H Macy's wife, yeah. was a, a porn star. Um, he clearly actually loves this community like this was kind of this love letter um to this industry and community that was all around him um do i think he probably has like this weird uh sex fascination yeah probably yeah but who cares like he's not hurting anybody and in the end the movie is not about sex it's literally about like these people who are uplifting each other and like respecting each other um god the scene when roller girl like almost fucking kills that guy. And it, it's like, she, all these people are just trying to find dignity, you know, yeah. and, and within with, with each other. And it's, um, the relationships are fucked up. They're fucked up, but families are fucked up actually, you know? And, um, Julianne Moore with Dirk Diggler and like, she's desperate to have this like mother, Motherly. daughter, yeah. mother. I mean, yes, even mother, daughter because her and roller girl when they're yeah. high. Like, She's trying to be like this motherly figure.
2: I was thinking something. Yeah. I was gonna see about taking the GED. Do you know what that is? For mm-hmm. mm-hmm. high school to graduate. It's because I never got my diploma. I feel bad, you know that. Uh, I think you were right about that. I think you were right. You should do it. You should do it, Roller Girl, because because you know what? If you wanted to, you could do anything.
0: It's very queer. It's this very queer, um, and and. And, and that's outside of, like, all of the obviously inherent uh, sex and the sexuality of, like, Dirk's massive cock right. and, and like, the prosthetic of it all. Like, there's a really good um, oral history on Grantline. If you Google it, you can find it. Oral? <laughs> ha 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 ha. Uh, so, but to, and it has a lot of great details on how the movie was made. Um, it's just fascinating to me. He was so young. And like fighting, literally almost getting into fist fight with Burt Reynolds on set. Yeah. Um, I think he did get um, Burt Reynolds did get into a fist fight with Thomas Jane, who plays that like is a small character. Yeah, very small character. I was a little shocked when I read about that. Um, it, it there's there's just so much going. On. The scene of like the like the is it Alfred Molina? Yeah, his scene with like the firecrackers going off like is maybe one of the most like spine tingling like. Tension fraying, uh, nerve fraying is what I mean. Uh, but also scene. really balances the comedy of it, yeah, because that scene is ridiculous. Yes, th- that movie you're totally right because the sheer comedy of Dirk and Brock trying to be pop stars, yeah, um, like there is, th- that movie is very funny. Um, and so, yeah, this movie has everything, it's, it's also beautiful. I think th- if you watch the first 15 minutes of it, you're like mesmerized. I like how the lighting, the way everyone looks, the costumes. That long shot that opens it. Yeah, yeah, it's just gorgeous. I mean, Heather Graham is great in it. Burt Reynolds, unfortunately is very good in it. It's so funny too, the, the people who are the best in it that are not John C. Reilly and Julianne Moore um, all distance themselves from it later on. I know, on. Heather Mark, Graham won't talk about it. Heather Graham won't talk about it. Burt Reynolds hated it, and is dead now. Mark Wahlberg said that he like had to ask forgiveness from God. He's since sort of walked that back a little bit. I think Mark Wahlberg is very good at it also. Like it's, he is. It's probably the best movie he... I mean, best role he's ever... Because I don't think he's much of an actor. I'll be honest. It's like he works in here because he is this outsider. He yeah. is like, you know, outsider looking in on these, you know, actors. Um, and he has... Obviously, he's got like the physicality of it down. Um, and he has that baby face... Um but again like this is just, like the perfect movie of like riding in circles going in circles. So yeah, I love that movie. So my 5 star review is going in the complete opposite direction and that's 2007's There Will Be Blood. Oh, Gabby, yes. Yes, <laughs> bitch. Yes, bitch. And There Will Be Blood is not funny. It's 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 mostly deathly serious. Um I but mean there's funny moments. It's not funny, but it still has so much sass. Yes. Very much that. Uh, as we talked about in the Rewind, it's a movie about Daniel Plainview, who is a silver miner who decides to take advantage of the oil industry booming in California at the turn of the century. Uh, he strikes oil, ends up, and this is a very Cliff notes version, ends up with a child that's not his own due to a, a an accident that leaves a man dead and a child an orphan. So he adopts this child. The child ends up going deaf due to an explosion uh, but Daniel Day Lewis really isn't much of a father, anyways. Like he's more using this kid as a—it's uh, like a marketing tool. Yeah, it's it, like it, that's a perfect I, way to describe. I'm it. a family man. Yes. Let me—I mean, the 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 basic plot of this is like they are just going around the country scheming about how can they manipulate landowners yes. into giving them the rights to their fucking underground wells and right. shit, or not wells, but like. To drill. He's like, yes. well, let's drill here, guys. We'll give you a little money. There'll be yeah. the roads. There's There might be oil under here. There's some oil deposits, you know, whatever. And then every, like, my wealth will increase your wealth. You know, jobs. <laughs> Capitalism. The movie. Exactly. <laughs> he ends up finding about this tract of land from Paul Sunday, and whose brother Eli Sunday is a preacher in this town. And he's a very evangelical. Charismatic. Yeah, charismatic. Very, you know hands on people screaming at the Lord and shouting for the devil to get out. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the rest of the movie is this sort of back and forth tit for tat between these two about power mm-hmm. and you know what that brings forth. I didn't even mention, uh, Daniel Plainview's brother shows up at one point, but is he his brother? Or is he not his brother? And of course, in the end there is blood there, there I, I said you know what they told us and honey there was blood um not a lot of blood not no not gratuitous Not it's not, gratuitous, not, not gross. controlled uh i i think what i find so fascinating about this film um is that it is such a deep deconstruction of that that greed mindset daniel plainview is a character whose only motivation is is the acquisition of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's money, it's oil. There it's is a power. competitiveness in him. Yes, exactly. And admittedly, people might see that scene as him explaining it too well or or providing perhaps too much narration into his inner thought process. But I think it's absolutely necessary because one of the things that he is very aware of is who he is, Mm -hmm. which is the one advantage that he does have over Eli Sunday. Because Eli Sunday doesn't realize he's a fraud. He thinks he knows who he is. Right. But But he's show. And Daniel Plainview Plainview is show when he needs to be Mm -hmm. and when he's not. And so... Doesn't Doesn't he say that he hates everybody? Yeah. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I hate most
1: people. There are times when I I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. Oh, I want to earn enough money I can
0: get away from everyone. What I care about is money yeah. and power. And he's like, when I've got to get up there and do the song and dance to like sell the shit, I'll do it. Don't come around here, bitch. I don't care about you. And that's the main conflict between him and Eli, is that they are the same. Mm -hmm. Their focus is different, but they're very much the same person. And it kills Daniel Plainview that Eli is so well-liked and it's so easy for him. Mm -hmm. But at the reverse of that, Eli hates the fact that Plainview is fake. That he... That he has this inner demon. Well, they're both fake. Right. They hate that like they can see the fakeness in each other. Yeah. And they're like, you fucking little bitch. Oh, (laughs) I see what you're doing. And they're both doing it to each other the entire time. It's delicious. I, I will say, you know, there's two knocks against this movie. Okay. I do think one is super unfortunate. Um, the first one being name a woman, name a woman, name a woman. Yeah. There are like no women in this movie. I mean, they exist. Mm -hmm. You certainly see them. There's like the mom who does not right talk. And there's the fiance of his son. Yes. She's like, they grew up together. Yeah. I love them. But like, oh yeah. And the stuff with the son is so tragic at the end when he's like, you're not my son. And like that. And, and that whole thing is he's no longer useful to him. Yeah. And, and so he's not only no longer useful, but actively competition now. Yes. Actively going to be, uh, someone that is in his industry that he's going to have to compete with. But again, another great queer moment of like, no, I'm different. And you, cause he's deaf. Um, yeah, because of him, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's like, I know you can talk. Fucking talk. And his son now speaks to an interpreter with ASL. And he refuses to learn ASL. Yes. Um, and he, it's just that fucking horrible moment when he's like, if you're going to fucking leave, you better fucking talk to me right now. And he speaks. Um, and for deaf people, that's so... Just, again, robbing them of dignity. Yes. Robbing them of uh, their language. And it's it's horrible. It's horrible. And that mo- that moment like really fucking got me and he says I'm going with my wife to Mexico to start our business. And it's just like this man is at the peak of a uh, I don't know the corporate overlords have like taken over his spirit. It's just like he gives no fucks about anything anymore. Yeah. And that's what one thing that I think is really impressive about this character is this is not a likable character. This is not anything to aspire to be, but he is relatable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, as an audience member, have to, in order for this movie to work, have to be able to connect in to whatever awful place Daniel Plainview crawled out of. Yeah. And understand it. And, like, that's one of the things that has fascinated me about this movie is that, like, I don't think I'm a Daniel Plainview. But there's some, some of the things that he says are, I'm just like, oh boy. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Like that's, that's in me. That's in all of us. That's in the dark place of all of us. The second knock, I will say that end, that ending, while great is an 11 when everything else is not. And so it gets a little <laughs> pantomimey at, to an extent. And I don't think it's bad because I think Paul Dano and and Daniel Day-Lewis are so good at what they're doing. But, like, it is... Rewatching it this time, I was just like, Whoa, Like, you let them swing for the rafters, and this could easily have gone wrong. It's dark, and it's deep, and I love... It's good, though. Yeah. it And it's it feels... It's oddly cathartic mm-hmm. when you get to the end of that movie. And maybe it's that you no longer have to spend time with Daniel Plainview, but part of you wants to. Yeah, I mean, but that's... it's. The dark and the deep of it, like, there are so many movies that try for that. Yeah. But it's like, oh, this is just miserable. I don't want to be here. Right. But, like, there will be blood. I'm like, it's it's kind of delicious. Yeah. It's kind of just like, it's thou doth want to live deliciously. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of like, ooh, it's good to be bad. Um, Unlike so many other, like... Let's just make everything really dark and gray. Yes. This guy's just an asshole and like not real, not a real human being. Not a real It's just like, ugh. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, good. She's, and then also just beautiful looking film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She was my number two pick, so. Oh, excellent. Was there anything else that you saw that you particularly liked? I think there are, are parts of Magnolia that I yeah. really love. Um, I was just going to say, for as much as he's like, I could cut down Magnolia. And hey, listen, I agree. I really do like Magnolia. But it is long, and there's a lot. There's a lot, um, but there are parts of it that are genuinely surprising and moving. I mean, I know the Master doesn't work for you. The Master works gangbusters for me. I really love the Master. Ghostbusters? Uh, Yes. (laughs) and uh, I like the interplay between those two characters. I like the the duality of it. Um, The, like, sadness in in freddie's character and the sadness in the dom's character you know they're they're sad they're sad people and they're both looking for something they can control and in the end of that movie um neither of them ends up in control of the you know the thing that they want right i mean that more than anything that scene with laura dern when she's like why you know when yeah. she confronts philip seymour often about changing the word um memory yeah it's like or oh, Imagine. Uh, yeah, he changes it to Imagine. And, like, that's the whole thing. Like, that's the movie right there, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I really like that one. Boogie Nights also, I mean, I know that you said it as your first review, but genuinely. So, so good. We have any <laughs> Phantom Thread. Phantom. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would have been my number two, actually. And uh, I just, I truly love that movie, and I truly love those three main performances. Yeah. Um, I think Daniel Day and him are a match made yeah. in heaven. Yeah, it sort of bums me out that Daniel Day is like, I'm retiring because you of know, things, whatever. Yeah, they they could make many more movies together. Yeah, I think they them together are so so good. I mean, just thinking about like. Going from *Their Will Be Blood to Phantom Thread um, as like a little feature is just like living in luxury. Yeah. That's just like opulence in cinema, honey. Absolutely. Um, alrighty. Let's get to our mixed reviews. Reviews. Oh, yes. Thank you. My one-star review was 2014's Inherent Vice. And my one-star review was 2002's Punch Drunk Love. My five-star review was 1997's Boogie Nights. And my five-star review was 2007's There Will Be Blood. Alrighty, let's get into the fast forward. <laughs> Not the drag race. Oh, girl. Ooh, girl. Paul Thomas Anderson already done had herses. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson because by the time this comes out, he will have a movie um, out in theaters. Yes. Uh, Licorice Pizza. Uh, famously starring the tiniest Heim As well as Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cooper, I think is his name. Yes, Cooper Hoffman. He's taking us back, back, back again to, uh, you know, the 70s, back to the San Fernando Valley. The early word is that it's very good. Um, we, sh- we, Gavin and I shall see. Yes. Uh, listeners, you shall see. I, as I was telling Louis going into this episode, I'm actually really happy we did this because... I saw that trailer for that movie and I was like, ugh, like, please, auteurs, like, stop making movies about men in the 70s. Like, I'm tired. I've seen it. Like, everybody has their men in the 70s movie. Watch doing this movie, doing the research, re watching these films. I'd forgotten how much I truly do love Paul Thomas Anderson as an artist. Sorry, Sam. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I guess our date's canceled. Um, but. <laughs> I, you know, I I do like seeing what he brings to the table and oftentimes what he does bring to the table is a lot more surprising than I think he's given credit for. So with that being said, rewatching the trailer, watching some of the interviews about it, I'm actually so much more excited about this movie and I, I am curious to see how it turns out. Do we think, I'm really hopeful and hoping that the, that Alana... Character is the protagonist, and it's not Cooper. I am too. She's like the but, big sell on the posters, but he cut the trailer. So yeah. it could go either way. It could go either way. I mean, he oftentimes in his trailers uses scenes that are not in the movie. So who knows? Those scenes, some of those scenes might not even be in the movie. Right. I just, you're right. When he was, the surprises are the best ones. Like, yeah. their holy blood was. Amazing for a lot of reasons, but like you said, a lot of his usual cast of characters weren't there. Um, Phantom Thread, that movie—you think it's going one way, and yeah. then in the last five minutes, you're like, "Gag!" It's it's so good. Um, and so I wonder, and, and you know, I he puts those challenges to himself. He wanted to make the Ruby Blood to do something different, to not go back to the Valley Seventies. Yeah, he is back there now, and I wonder if the way he's gonna like kind of twist that around. Is, I don't know, maybe make good with, like, giving us some, like, feminine... That would um, be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. A, a change of pace. <laughs> um He's 50 years old. Maybe he could, I don't know. Right. Name a woman. Name a woman. <laughs> he did it, I don't want to say by himself, but he did it really by working hard. Yeah. And by sticking to his guns and um going against the grain. You know, I, I was... Before I like learned all the stuff, I was like g- a little annoyed. I was like, "Oh, this fucking white dude who just yeah. like." And there is a lot of that. There certainly. I is- will say you picked this topic. I do want to put that. Up. Well, because I saw Licorice pizza was coming right. out. Gavin, don't <laughs> woman blast like that. <laughs> um, and to be fair, I was like, we need to do a straight guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, but yeah, I- I'm I'm surprised by how much I'm like, oh, he really put in the work. He is working with very talented and cool people, giving them lots of great opportunities. Yeah. Um, and so I, I got a deeper appreciation and understanding, even though, like I said, some of the stuff too heady for me, but it's not made for me, you know, like there, there, some of the, some of mean, honestly, a lot of his stuff is made for him Mm -hmm. and, and some of the best art is just that, you know? So, I mean like, and that's fine, you know? Art doesn't have to be for everyone, every guy's like right. it's it's fine. It, it doesn't. And hopefully you've taken that away from this podcast in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to see from PTA um, going forward? He has such reverence for everything that came before, whether it's something from the forties, something from the sixties. Um I would love I think for him, you know, he said Punch drunk Love was really inspired by Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire but taking the music out of it, taking the musical numbers out of it. I wouldn't <laughs> mind seeing a PTA musical. It could be a disaster. And I don't want to be like, of course he could make a musical. I don't know if he could. I mean, he definitely has the visual right. uh, sense for it. And so I could fuck with that. Yeah. I would like to see him do like a straight comedy. Yeah. Um, because I don't think he can. I, I mean, I know he thinks a lot of his movies are funny. Like yeah. there's interviews of him being like, I thought, there's he thinks the master is funny yeah I and i'm know. like why yeah um but maybe he just has a really fucking weird sense of humor but a part of me is like he's married to my rudolph like yeah i know he's funny i just don't know that he knows what being funny is i don't know i wonder if he would just maybe get out of his head a little bit and focus not focus but like put that energy into a comedy. I wonder what that would look like, and that's the that's the other thing that I I would. Do I need every movie to be like the Great American Novel? No, and that's the and I totally agree. And I, you know, one of the things we praised him about for Janoon was breaking that sort of yes. that that rigorous rigidness. Yes, and maybe if he did something more like that again, I I would also be really interested in seeing that and seeing it not be as. It's so formalistic and so just like, if the lighting is here and the, you know... Not formalistic, but but the... Yeah, formalistic. That's right. (laughs) I'm going with it. Um, Formulaic? Is that what you want out of me? Is that what you're looking for? Well, Uh, you got there. I speak English good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And it's very late, guys. You know, not that there's an issue with his style of filmmaking, but maybe something a little more relaxed, like you just said. To push himself a little bit. So, yeah, I think that really... That wraps her up. up. Yeah, that wraps up PTA. We're both excited for Licorice Pizza. We wish the name was different. But... Ah! <laughs> sorry. It's a dumb name. It's a dumb name. Um, but, yeah. But very excited. And genuinely hope he continues to make yes. a, a shit ton more movies. I'm excited. Please, please don't do, like, another four or five year gap. I know he probably needs that first process. and But, like... Do the do the master inherent vice mm-hmm, speed. Mm-hmm. It's better for but you. But not those movies. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Rude. Sincerely me. <laughs> but if you want to contact us, you can always find us online on Twitter at At The Mixed Reviews. we on Facebook to type in The Mixed Reviews. If you want to email us, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. we on Instagram We're at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to us like you've been listening to this entire episode, you can find us on a plethora of podcast apps. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, Audible. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Audible, please stop by, leave us a five-star rating, and write us a little review, and we'll read it on the show like we've done with so many others. Yes. If you believe in the cause, please contact us. (laughs) We hope you guys have a great holiday season. Um, keep an eye out for some fun merch things and we will see you in 2022 it's gonna be a new year baby bye guys bye